ask me why I'm always teasing you. You hate to have me call you pretty baby. Whether you like it or not, there's going to be a big change around here, and it starts tonight. Hello and welcome to the Queens and Rebels Women History Podcast. We are finished with the three-part series on the women that got to be kings of Egypt. And I'm very excited to start something new. And this one will be on a Canadian icon who I consider to be a personal hero. I'm very excited to begin, but before we start, a couple of things. So I will be putting out my episodes on Saturday mornings now, just because the schedule works better. I mentioned in the previous episode the times I used to record, which was a Thursday, uh, coincided with a garbage pickup in my neighborhood, and it was really noisy because I record in my bedroom and it faces the the street, so you can hear a lot of noise. So now I will be recording on a Friday. Today, actually, there is a power outage. It's a planned power outage. I wasn't aware of it. <laughs> but my husband was, apparently. And uh, there is a new-built house that's getting hooked up uh, with electricity. So the electricity has been shut down in this neighborhood for two hours. Uh, luckily, I can still record. I just cannot do a lot of things. You know, it's only when the electricity is gone that um, I realize how dependent on it I am. Like, even to turn on my stove or uh, get a glass of water in the morning. I'm used to drinking some water right from my filter on the fridge and I just went to it automatically and realized I can't. Luckily, I live in Canada and tap water is safe for drinking here, so that's not the problem, but you know, it's the little things. Uh, For example, I wanted to print my notes and I couldn't because there's no electricity, so I will be reading it from my computer screen, I prefer to have a physical copy of the notes. I'm very old school. <laughs> I don't use Kindles or anything because I like holding something in my hands physically and reading from it. Okay, but without further ado, I'm very excited to talk about Viola Desmond. So I'm just going to cut in and introduce my source, which I always forget. And I know it's so bad because... The source deserves a lot of credit. It was a very interesting book called Viola Dasmond, Her Life and Times by Graham Reynolds with Wanda Robson. And what I enjoyed about this book is Graham Reynolds is a historian interested in life of Viola, uh, but Wanda is actually her sister, and her sister gives a lot of personal examples of her relationship with Viola and how Viola was as a person, as an individual, and not just uh, historic facts. And also there is a lot of memories Wanda has about her own life and the kind of environment the family or a black ambitious woman faced. So I do recommend uh, you give it a read. So she is the first Canadian-born woman to be on our national currency in Canada. She's on a newly designed $10 bill, and I really love the newly designed money. 
mostly because it's plastic and you can wash it. Like, I have actually accidentally washed money in the pocket. It was like 20 bucks and it honestly came out perfectly fine. Also, I like how colorful Canadian money is because it's so easy to distinguish, unless you're colorblind, I guess, to distinguish with what kind of bill you need to pull out like i hardly use cash to be honest but still it's a nice touch yes so viola is uh, on a newly designed 10 dollar bill she's the first uh, canadian born woman to be so uh, and she's a, a halifax born businesswoman. and if you have studied canadian history you probably heard of viola briefly um, because she is mentioned but i do feel like, she deserves more recognition in Canadian schools because she really is an amazing woman. She is a Halifax businesswoman and she refused to move from a whites-only section of the theater. And she is often called the Canadian Rosa Parks, although she predates Rosa Parks. She was the one who confronted the practice of racial segregation before Rosa Parks did. So extremely brave. And she was also a business pioneer. And I do consider her a feminist icon because you will see she broke a lot of gender burial, also racial burial barriers as well. Viola grew up in the north end of Halifax and Halifax is on the east coast of Canada. It's a very beautiful coastal city. I would love to visit. I feel like I would never live there just because the climate gets very harsh (laughs) but it is a very beautiful, striking nature. She grew up in the north end of Halifax, and the north end of Halifax was a racially mixed, mostly working class neighborhood, and that's where the majority of the city's black residents used to reside. Viola was three years old when one of the worst pre-nuclear disasters happened on December 6, 1917, a Norwegian supply ship and a French cargo ship carrying ammunition collided at the harbor. So this is a famous incident in Canadian history. 2,000 people were killed and 9,000 were injured. And at the time, Viola was in her high chair eating breakfast. And suddenly she was just showered with glass shards from shattered windows. She remained silent throughout the explosion. And this caused her father to fear that she was killed. Actually, the neighborhood uh, where she lived, the North End, was one of the hardest hit areas by the disasters. She was witness to something that is highly traumatic. I know she was young, she was only three, but uh, growing up, she would have still been aware of the kind of impact that the disaster had on her neighborhood. Her father, James, worked as a barber in a family business. This was co-owned with his brothers, and it was passed on to them by their father. Barbering was one of the few professions open to black men because white barbers refused to serve black people. Later, he quit to manage family properties. His wife inherited some properties from her father, and he himself had come into some properties as well. 
the thing is, it's like a lot of people look onto Canada, especially with what's going on in the States, they look onto Canada as some kind of haven. And I do agree the situation in Canada is better, like especially with, with how we handled COVID. But Canada is not exempt from... Uh, from a lot of problems like racism always existed in Canada and it still does like it was more overt and but it's still present having said that I'm very happy my parents chose to immigrate to Canada specifically especially I love the free healthcare. I mean not gonna brag but it's wonderful but yeah um, I mean we don't learn so much about the kind of discrimination that um, Canadian black residents have faced but it was very open I mean even seeing this example with the barbers that refused uh, a service to paying patrons back to my notes sorry I lost my place this is why I prefer to have a physical copy that I can do little check marks as I speak um, so yeah, so her father James was a barber and um, at the time of the explosion he was doing good business. Halifax was bustling with, um, with wartime activity. At this point of history, the troops and supplies uh, headed to Europe from Halifax. It's a coastal city, it's a port city and that was the point from which troops and supplies would head to Europe. The city experienced the population growth and it experienced industrial expansion. Despite the revival experienced in the city, black residents were living in racially restricted housing and had limited work opportunities. There was around 1,000 black residents in Halifax at the time. Most of them stemmed from former slaves who came during the Loyalist migration at the end of the American Revolution. Two communities were formed, the North End that we mentioned and Africville. Africville was very isolated it lacked a lot of amenities like electricity, just basic things. The North End, in contrast to Africville, was able to achieve more success. It was uh, comprised of working and middle class families, male led families, I should say. At the time, uh, black women also faced gender restrictions, and just like most women, uh, on top of uh, their racial background. So Viola's families uh, was one of these like old settled core families. They were involved in the community, uh, participated in local politics, um, took on leadership roles within the church. It was a religious family. They were involved in various civic organizations and they were considered to be one of the families part of the black elite that formed in Halifax. Viola's grandfather became one of the first black postal carriers in Halifax. So he previously was a barber and upon passing his, his certification for being a postal carrier, he turned his business over to his sons. In 1876, the male members of the Davis family, so this is Viola's father's side of the family, she gained her last name of Desmond 
with marriage. The Davis family was involved in the campaign for racial integration of Halifax public schools. Not only were schools segregated, they had uh, very limited funding and uh, there was no secondary schools available to black students who wanted to continue their education. And as we know, education is power, you know, it allows you to expand more opportunities. And as a part of this racial segregation system, those opportunities were not presented to the black residents. And, and this kind of racist policy further restricted them from moving up economically. The family was involved in campaigning for racial integration of Halifax public schools. Eventually, they were successful. So, eight years later, in 1884, Halifax allowed black children to attend public schools in their ward. Viola's uncle was the first student in Halifax to attend and graduate from a public secondary school. And education was extremely important in the Davis family. Viola's mother, Gwendolyn, graduated from an all-women's college with a degree in liberal arts and domestic science. So domestic science is one of these BS programs oriented towards women and it would be uh, lessons on how to keep house basically and it was seen as a traditional female studies you know on how to keep a home nevertheless it was widely accepted at the time and later it did help Gwendolyn because she did have 15 children that's right 15 one five an insane amount of children, and I'm sure some kind of training in, in how to run a house was of value to her. Gwendolyn instilled the value of education in all of her 15 children. She knew how important it is to educate yourself. In 1932, Viola graduated with a high school diploma. She has dreamt to pursue a career as a teacher, Career opportunities for women were limited at the time, and especially for black women that had to face the additional challenge of, of being discriminated against uh, based on their uh, race. Black women were not allowed to attend provincial teachers' college, so the only option for her was to teach in a segregated school and for that you just had to obtain a diploma through a provincial exam. Viola did that and began teaching at the age of 19. I know, that is so young. I mean, at the age of 19, I had no idea what I was going to do with myself. But as we will see, Viola is a very, very determined woman. Shortly into her teaching career, she got inspired by Madame C.J. Walker, and that is a famous U.S. icon. I would love to talk about Madame C.J. Walker more, and I will eventually, but for now, for those who somehow don't know who she was, she was a very successful beauty entrepreneur, very wealthy and a social rights advocate, just an overall amazing woman. I think there is a a movie coming out about her soon. Uh, but anyways, she got inspired by Madame C.J. Walker, 
And she previously entertained the idea of being a beautician, so she started saving money from her teaching job to pay for her training. Now, Viola could not attend training in Halifax, and at the age of 22, she traveled to a beauty school in Montreal. Before leaving Montreal, Viola started dating Jack Desmond. He was a barber shop owner. Uh, they later married in 1936. This was before she finished the last year of her training in Montreal. After finishing her training, Viola came back to Halifax and opened uh, the first hairdressing studio for black women in a storefront building belonging to her family. She called it V's Studio of Beauty Culture. That is such a cute name, V's Studio. Also, I love the name Viola. Like, it's such a cute name. I would totally name my daughter Viola. Like, it's like in the top five of my names. But anyways, back to my notes. Her business was an instant success. There was a need for for that type of be- the beauty studio that served black women and she felt that need. She had a very loyal clientele and the salon became a social center for women. She also became a strong role model for young women. One resident recalled, um, and I quote, she took all of us kids from the area under her wing and was like a mother to us all, end quote. So her clients remember her as having a great sense of humor and being very sympathetic. Viola intended on expanding her business and took some additional training in Atlantic City. So post-training in 1940, she opened a beauty school. This was the first beauty school of its kind in Halifax, and her first class would graduate five years later in 1945. She was very committed to her business, and she wanted to provide her customers with the best she could offer, so she was not the kind of person that, you know, realized she's the the only service that's available to people, and and she can just skate by on that, she was not about doing a half-assed job. She was dedicated to being the best. She wanted to provide her customers with the latest techniques and products. And this included chignon attachments and custom wigs. So she left for New York City to learn wig-making skills in a studio After she came back, she did start producing wigs. She added an addition to her shop where she could produce the wigs. She also started her own beauty line. She recognized that most products came from the U.S. and there was no domestic manufacturer catering to black women. She turned the back of her shop in a production space for pomade and face powder and named her line Sapia. Over the next few years, her line would expand to include hair dye, perfume, lipsticks, hair strengthening oil, and hair growth products. So this was advertised in the newspaper, and you could buy from a catalog. Viola was uh, described as a petite, uh, soft-spoken, fashionably dressed woman. She was very fashionable. I've seen a lot of pictures of Viola just browsing 
for some research and for images to put on my Instagram. And if you are into vintage fashion, like definitely give Viola a goog because she is a major fashion inspiration when it comes to that vintage look. So just because she was so spoken didn't mean she wasn't brave enough to say things that were meaningful and we will see that later. Uh, she and her husband were also involved in the church and community organizations. They discussed latest social issues, were very active in their community, uh, but her and her husband were not necessarily best suited for each other. Viola was very disciplined and ambitious. Her husband was content with doing what he was doing at the time the business was booming. Oh, my power just came back. So exciting. I can cook breakfast. I mean, technically my stove. <laughs> I have a gas stove so I could light it with like a barbecue lighter. But I thought that just wait until the electricity is back. Uh, yeah, I was talking about her husband. Her husband uh, was content with doing what he was doing. And there is nothing wrong with that but when you have one partner that is so driven and so ambitious like Viola is and and that partner expects you to kind of match their energy that creates a lot of conflict in the relationship and her husband was also not happy that her ventures took away from her time as a homemaker Essentially, in the beginning, he was supportive of her business, but the more successful she got and the more time the business demanded, the less support he showed her. With time, they would eventually grow apart and live their lives as separate people, but that would happen with time. So by mid-40s, she was a successful businesswoman. Her line was receiving orders from all over the province. That meant she had to travel a lot. And at the time, obtaining a driver's license was highly unusual for a woman. She bought a car, a 1940s Dodge sedan, for her business trips. And at the time, she would have taken a lot of isolated roads. To, and it would have taken her several days to travel, which again speaks to her character like she was so driven and is very brave for her to travel through all these back roads especially in in um, Nova Scotia the province of Nova Scotia that is very wild and if your car breaks down you're kind of screwed or at least that's how I, I imagine it it was at the time and kind of still is so yeah she had to travel a lot and on one of her trips on November 8th 1946, she was going through the city of New Glasgow. Her car started emitting strange noises from the engine, and uh, she decided to stop and go to the mechanic. The mechanic told her it would take several days to get the needed part to fix it. The part had to be shipped from Halifax. So Viola, who didn't usually have a lot of time to spare had some spare time and decided to see a movie called Dark Mirror playing at the Rosalind Theater. So she came into the theater and she asked the cashier for a downstairs ticket. Viola had poor eyesight and preferred sitting closer to the screen. 
<laughs> good old times when you could drive with the poor eyesight <laughs> and no glasses. I, I don't know, maybe she wore glasses when she was driving, actually. Don't quote me on that. Forget I said anything. So, yeah, she asked Shapiro downstairs ticket just so she can see the screen better. And the cashier did not respond. She just, the cashier just issued her a ticket. Uh, after seating herself in the downstairs section, thinking that she got a ticket she asked for, she was tapped on the shoulder by the usher who told her to move to the balcony. Viola responded that, that she would be happy to change her ticket for the downstairs section and she went back to the cashier, uh, approached cashier and asked her to exchange the tickets for the downstairs section. So the cashier finally responded, that they are not allowed to sell downstairs tickets, and I quote, to you people, end quote. Viola immediately understood the connotations. She knew she was being discriminated based on her race. She tried to explain she always sat in the downstairs section in Halifax because of her poor eyesight, and she had no issue paying the extra 10 cents for the downstairs ticket, but she was refused. And at that time, Viola, you know, got fed up, rightfully so, and made the spontaneous decision to confront the practice of racial segregation. She returned to her original seat. The usher approached her again and told her he will have to call the manager if she doesn't move. Viola responded that she isn't causing trouble and will stay in her seat. Her refusal eventually caused the manager to call the police. The police officer and the manager physically dragged Viola by her arms. Like, this is very jarring. She is a petite woman. These two men are violently dragging her by her arms and pulled her into the street. And now Viola said she did not go quietly. She was grabbing onto anything she could. She was letting them know she's there to fight. So after she was dragged into the street, she was taken to jail overnight and she was bruised and battered from this encounter. It must have been harrowing. And she determined to keep her composure. Um, the whole night she spent in, in jail, she was ignoring these obscene calls from drunks that realized there is a woman present. I just scrolled too far. Do, do, do. This is so upsetting. Can you imagine what she felt at the time? Firstly, all she wanted to do was unwind a little bit and see a movie. Um, apparently, she liked the lead actress in, in the movie. And she came in, she asked for a ticket. She wasn't even told the theater is practicing racial segregation, which I feel like you should tell if you're going to be, you know, shaky like that. At least let the person know Maybe it was done purposely to embarrass her in the first place. I mean, she was willing to upgrade her seats and, and just refusing a paying patron money. Uh, I'm assuming it wasn't a busy theater at the time. It's, it's just so crappy. And I mean, I can understand why, why she made this spontaneous decision. It's so brave of her, like, her whole lifetime she faced these hurdles. She could not, uh, she could not attend teacher's college. She had to travel out of her city, out of her province, to different places just to obtain an education. 
And I'm sure in her personal life, she she faced a lot of bigotry, you know. Just the fact that these two men were so scared of this petite little woman that they had to drag her, like physically drag her out, speaks volumes to the kind of attitudes she had to face. And it was very brave to make this spontaneous decision. I mean, I don't know if if I was living at the time, if I would have the bravery to confront certain practices. Like, obviously, I wouldn't have to face racism, but, you know, like sexist practices. I don't know if I would have the, the kind of strength that certain people did, like Viola. And that is why she is a personal hero of mine. Because knowing myself, like, yes, right now I'm very much empowered to call myself a feminist. I am empowered to to ask for for gender equality, but at the same time looking back back into history, like would I be the same woman I am today? And I always ask myself that question, like would I be brave enough to stand up to injustice? But Viola was, like she she definitely was. Yeah, and upon uh, entering the theater, she did not realize she was entering a segregated theater. The practice of racial segregation in Canada varied across provinces and across municipalities and even businesses. So it varied greatly across the province of Nova Scotia. The practice of racial segregation in Canada was not enforced by by any federal or provincial laws, with the notable exception of military service and schools. But other than that, it was just up to an individual business to make up these uh, racial segregation policies. Because there was no racial segregation law, next morning when she was brought before a judge, her charge was a violation of provincial amusement tax. So again, her getting dragged out of the theater, it was not even lawful. And and she wanted to pay the amusement tax. Like, that's the frustrating part. It's just, it was based on sole attitudes and rules made by the business. So there was a 10 cent difference in the price of the ticket and the 1 cent difference in amusement tax. So she was charged for not paying 1 cent. She was found guilty and was ordered to pay $20 plus $6 to cover the court costs or spend 30 days in jail. Viola chose to pay the fine. She later said she wanted to serve those 30 days, but she felt the responsibility to her students because, as you remember, she was running a beauty school, so she felt the responsibility to return. After the incident, Viola was physically hurt and emotionally shaken. I mean, I can believe that. She returned home and and sought the advice of her friends and family. She got a lot of support from the community and the Nova Scotia Association of the Advancement of Colored People. That's what it was called at the time. It was an organization fighting for racial and equality and civil rights. They took up Viola's cause and provided funds to hire a lawyer. Viola lost the lawsuit, unfortunately. She lost the discrimination lawsuit and... It was largely based on some strange decisions that the lawyer decided to take. The lawyer decided to take the case straight to the provincial Supreme Court 
through a legal procedure called certiorari, I believe, certiorari, um, which means that the court can cancel another court's decision based on an obvious mistake. So this is an important thing to understand that um, this legal procedure, certiorari, is not an appeal. While the court case was not able to meet the standards it required under um, certiorari, at the same time, the time for filing an appeal expired. There was no choice for the judges but to rule the certiorari procedure as invalid, and she lost her case that way. It was not until 2010 an official apology was offered to the community and to Viola's family by the premier of Nova Scotia, so Viola's family is still very much a part of, of Halifax. Despite the loss in court, Viola won in raising awareness about the unfair practice of racial segregation. There were multiple articles written about her suit, and she inspired others to take up the fight for racial equality. Now, there were other people that stood up for racial equality that predated Viola, but her case was the most vocal, and it was the one that inspired the entire community to take up the cause as she became a symbol in people's eyes. The practice of racial segregation and discrimination in Canada existed, it definitely did, but it was different from the U.S. In general, it was, as I said, it was not enforced by law, but developed very unevenly and dependent on local businesses. And it was definitely present in areas where black and white people mixed. Black Halifax residents were denied services in all major downtown hotels and restaurants. And in Reston, Ontario, the practice of uh, segregation was comparable to the southern U.S. It was uh, quite drastic. It was difficult to legally change a practice which did not exist in legal terms. And that's the obstacle that, that activists faced. In Canada, there was no national movement to end racial discrimination. It developed in pieces and throughout communities. During the first half of the 20th century, legal challenges to the practice of racial segregation were often unsuccessful. And I have no doubt that Viola would have been aware of, of those failed challenges, which again speaks to her character that she was still willing to stand up, right? Like some people, and perhaps even people like me, would just fold and be like, well, you know, what's the point? Viola's action was a catalyst to human rights legislation and made her a symbol in the fight for equal rights. Um, now, there was no immediate outcry following her case. Technically, it was not... Uh, technically, I say it was not about race. It was about defrauding the province of the amusement tax. Um, now, it was very much obviously about race, and only one of the four judges actually vocally acknowledged uh, the case was not about the amusement tax at all. It was about the practice of racial segregation and civil rights. Um, but support for Viola grew in the community, 
and she helped to create a lot of public awareness and solidarity with her case. After losing the legal battle, Viola tried to go back to running her business, and there's no telling how the case's notoriety affected her business exactly, but she was still following her dream of establishing her business nationally. She also dreamt of helping black women gain opportunities in the beauty business, gain career opportunities, because often career opportunities for black women were limited to domestic help at the time. She cultivated professionalism and confidence in her students. She wanted them to succeed. But unfortunately, Viola realized that her dream of establishing an empire was limited to Halifax. At the time, the estimated population of uh, the estimated black population of Canada was only 20,000 people. And this is comparing uh, to a person she based her business on who was Madam C.J. Walker. When she started, there was 10,000 people in Atlantic City alone. So the black population of Canada was just not large enough to support her business. During the 50s, she also had to compete with white-owned cosmetic companies, which started offering specialized products for black women. And I'm sure it was not out of some kind of... um, epiphany but it was you know to obviously make money if they if they saw a market they could make money from and they went in uh, unlike viola that had a clear goal on, of helping uh, the women she sold her products to she left for montreal and she later left um, to new york city to pursue other interests she attended business college in new york and she became an entertainment agent trying to promote local musicians unfortunately in 1965 viola passed away in her apartment in harlem from an internal bleed now this might sound ridiculous but one time i ate a beet salad and um, when I went to the washroom (laughs) some stuff came out red and I had such a major freak out because I thought my life was ending and I had an internal bleed well you know what because I have high acidities and I have no discipline or self-control so I will eat high acidic foods that I need to avoid all the time, like I will eat citruses, I love oranges, coffee, chocolate, tomato-based sauces, like you name it, I'm so bad at avoiding these foods, and then my stomach hurts because the acids go up, so it's a never-ending cycle, and I'm always paranoid that I will have some kind of internal bleed, so when I ate those beets, I was like making a list of people I have to say goodbye to before I realized what happened but sorry not to make light of this situation because it's obviously very tragic we lost Viola so young because we will never know what kind of potential she could have reached in her new ventures sorry about interjecting with this ridiculousness Um, yeah we will never know what she could have achieved in the future and that's very sad to me because she was so driven She was so determined and brave and she worked so hard for her dreams and I have no doubt she would have been a very successful entertainment agent. Let's remember her her legacy. She she already 
established a tremendous legacy before passing away at a young age. She established a successful business while facing the double burden of discrimination based on gender and race. And she was very much a feminist in modern terms. She was an independent woman and she struggled to achieve equality. Most of her school's graduates ended up successful professionals. So again, her dream of helping other black women achieve a career was realized. She became a symbol of struggle for equal rights and eventually was part of the reason why the Human Rights Act was passed. So in Canada, a gradual acceptance of equality followed the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. A lot of people in the black community started asking the question, how can people fight against the horrors of Hitler, but then support similar racism at home? There was a ton of um, black veterans and community members that supported the war effort uh, just as much as their their white neighbors did and and it seemed so hypocritical to them to be faced with racism while they made so many sacrifices fighting these racist Hitler's policies. So eventually in Nova Scotia the Human Rights Act of 1963 would transform the entire society. Now Saskatchewan Bill of Rights was the first form of uh, such legislation to be passed in 1947, like it was limited and was in no way perfect. Uh, And I believe Quebec passed the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, was the last one to pass um, such legislation in 1975, I think. So these bills of human rights were amended many times, and the last uh, segregated school in Canada, closed in the 80s, that's right, like, as I said, we tend to think we're better than our neighbors to the south, but 80s happened in in most of our lifetimes, in our parents' lifetimes, like, it's crazy to think about that, and you know what, like, I do find it very sad, as I said, that Viola passed away, and she could have done so many great things, so I just wanted to leave my listeners with a quote from my source, which is a book, Viola Desmond, Her Life and Times by Graham Reynolds and Wanda Robson, about Viola, just to show you what kind of person she was. So Viola was extremely family-oriented, and um, her sister in the book talks a lot about her personal experiences with Viola, which is why I enjoyed reading this source so much, just because um, you get factual information about people, but you never know what kind of personality they had. You get it from the sources that knew them. And who better to know Viola than her own sister? Her sister says that she got married to her first husband and they moved to Massachusetts outside of Boston. So the husband left them, and she had three children, and one of them was a newborn. She was 32 years old and a single mom, and at the time, imagine being a single mother, like, it's hard enough as it is during our time. She struggled to make ends meet, and she reached out to social services. She explained she didn't have money, 
for basic needs, to buy groceries, to pay her bills. Instead of being sympathetic to that kind of desperate situation, the case worker berated the sister. And she said that, I quote, you don't deserve assistance unless you help yourself, end quote. So can you imagine this young woman with children reaching out for help and being berated? Also, the sister said she was embarrassed to tell her family what was happening. I can see that, unfortunately, a lot of people are embarrassed to let others know they've fallen on hard times. And poverty should not be embarrassing, but unfortunately it is. And who knows, perhaps the mother didn't like the husband. Now, this is just me speculating and, you know, the daughter didn't want to reach out. And here I told you so. But she kept the desperate situation to herself until Viola arrived. Viola saw the fact that um, there was no heat or lights in the apartment. The sister was burning wood in a potbelly stove. And Viola recognized how dangerous that potbelly stove was. What Viola did, she arrived at the town hall the next day, which was a Saturday, and all the offices were closed, but that didn't deter her. She marched into town council that was in session, and she politely interrupted and spoke to the mayor and just described what kind of dangerous situation her sister was living in. But the mayor told her, sorry, everything's closed. I guess we'll see you on Monday. And Viola replied in her soft-spoken manner, and I quote, that's fine, but you should know, children die on Saturdays too, unquote. And by the time they returned to the apartment, the lights were on, and later that day, workers arrived and removed the potbelly stove, hooked up the kitchen stove, and made sure the heat was working. So there you go, you have a good characterization of Viola. She was soft-spoken, but she was extremely caring, and she was determined. And I hope this woman inspired you as much as she did me. I definitely hope that there would be more material coming out, and uh, that young women in Canadian schools, or even schools abroad, get to learn more about how amazing she was, and get inspired by her. I hope you enjoyed this episode, uh, this was a one-part episode, and next week I will be doing something else, I'm not sure yet, I have not picked a topic, I have few in mind, so you will have to stay tuned and find out I hope um, to see you next Saturday and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you want to see some pictures of Viola and her impeccable fashion sense, please follow me on QNR podcast. I will post some images. Yeah, that's it.